Welcome back to another episode of the MicroComp Podcast. This is a refresh episode where we look back at one of the best talks from the past 12 years of MicroConf. Today, we're going to hear the audio from Amanda Natividad's talk called The New Way of Marketing, Mastery of Zero-Click Content. She gave this talk at MicroConf Remote 5.0, and it was one of the fan favorites. Speaking of MicroConf Remote, when this episode goes live, MicroConf Remote 6.0 is happening. It focuses on leveling up your SaaS sales. It's happening March 21st and 22nd, about 90 minutes each day, so three hours total of content and of meeting other founders. Recordings will be available. If you've missed any of the event, you should check it out at microconf.com remote. Topics and speakers for day two are Founder-Led Selling with Pete Kazanji, How to Sell More Faster and with a Little Less Pain by John and Dege, and our Founder by Founder Mixer, where you get to meet other founders in the MicroConf community. I'll be there emceeing live, and I hope to see you there, microconf.com remote. And with that, let's dive into the new way of marketing, mastery of zero-click content. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that I call zero-click content. The art of zero-click content, we are going to get into why this is, what this is, and some best practices for moving forward. So when we think about how, you know, traditionally content has been, right, um, how typical content marketing has been, we've seen people do something like this, right? They will post, uh, they'll post a tweet that represents some kind of like, hey, want to know X, join our webinar, right? Pretty straightforward stuff. Um, or they'll put in a relatable statement and then read the blog. Or sometimes they might even just put in like an intriguing question with some context and then read this, right? All pretty typical stuff that we've been seeing on pretty much any social media platform. But how's it going? How, how is this? How, how is, how, is any of this successful? Well, that first example, there were two retweets, three likes. In the second example, there was only one retweet and six likes. And the third example had three retweets and 16 likes performed better. But, oh, you might be thinking, well, maybe these are really small accounts. Maybe it's really new, all that stuff. But the first one has over 130,000 followers. It's a verified account and it's a government organization. The second one has over 80,000 followers. It's an individual person, <clears throat> also a verified account, and it's a credible author. And then finally, the third one, it's a newer account, has over 16,000 followers, and represents some kind of niche interest. Excuse me. <clears throat> but it's not, so clearly it's not going very well. And a lot of this content is new. So I'll also point out, you know, when I said how it started and pointed out some ways in which people or marketers typically share their content online. Um, that's how we've been doing it for the past, what, 10, 15 years. But these examples are all pretty new. So we're seeing that it's not very effective, but why, right? Why is this not effective? I think it could be, you know, some kind of chicken or egg situation, right? Where maybe the algorithms have trained us or maybe our own behavior has trained the algorithms where we no longer see or engage with that type of teaser content. Could be a little bit of both. 
And so what are some reasons for this? A few things are certain, right? We know that Google manipulates the SERP. They're now putting answers directly in the search engine results page. In 2020, over 65 or something like 65% of Google searches ended without a click, which can be a good thing for users. So let's say you're Googling how tall is Paul Rudd or Paul Rudd height. Boom, you see the answer directly in the search engine results page. You don't really need a blog post to, um, to click into that to find out more. Um, but this can also be really bad for publishers and small businesses. Here's my favorite example. Um, so a couple years ago, the music lyric site or song lyric site, Genius.com, accused Google of scraping their content or stealing their content and putting it directly on SERP, which meant that people fewer, fewer people were linking to Genius. Google denied it. And so what Genius did was they used a watermarking system that embedded patterns in the formatting of apostrophes in its lyrics, right? So some combination of straight, um, straight apostrophes and curly apostrophes and saw that the exact watermarking pattern showed up in Google search, proving their point that Google actually was stealing their content. But, you know, it's not just, it's not just Google that's trying to keep people on their platform. Social media does it too, right? Social media rewards this native content. Twitter's algorithm favors threads over linked content, right? You know, this guy, Sahil Bloom, has like, 700,000 followers at this point, very famously writes these threads. Um, LinkedIn's algorithm favors comments. So you see people like me who put things like link below in the comments in their posts. We don't even link to the actual content within our posts. We put it in the comments. And finally, Instagram doesn't allow links in their captions, right? And they only recently, only this year, began allowing them in stories. And so it's not just these main platforms, right? It's not just the ones I mentioned. It's Reddit, Pinterest, Ecora. All of them favor in-platform content like linkless posts, images, and videos. TikTok and Snapchat are linkless. YouTube cuts off video descriptions that include links. So the old way of marketing your content, your event, your product, your business, it just doesn't work anymore. Instead of optimizing for Google, we now need to optimize for impressions, aka we have to write really, really good content. But it's hard. How do we do it? So how do we create this type of share-worthy content that people actually will take action on? Through zero-click content, right? This is content that offers standalone value with no need to click. Clicking is only additive to the user experience, and it's not required. We see lots of examples of this from our peers, like Rand Fishkin, for instance. He embeds these two-minute videos directly, directly on LinkedIn. We don't even host this on Wistia or YouTube anymore because there kind of isn't really any point for us. Posting it on LinkedIn ensures that the video gets seen, and Rand's videos will get hundreds of thousands of impressions each time. For myself, I repurpose all of my blog posts into Twitter threads. Um, and that's right. I, I rewrite them as threads. I don't say, hey, look at my blog post, you know, in like a, in the thread format. I, I distill it into an actual thread where people don't even have to click on the blog post. 
And then people like Brendan Hufford, right? Brendan, Brendan writes these 150 word or so insights and he posts them directly on LinkedIn, right? And, and Brendan runs a, a B2B SaaS consultancy. So this is also just the best way for him to drive interest and leads for his business. And it's not just the B2B industry, right? We can see this in D2C. This company is D2C's uh, meat or protein company, Force of Nature Meats. They have over 90,000 Instagram followers at this point who are very engaged with their content. If you're not in their target audience, you would glance at this chart, not really pay attention to it, but really this chart is the meat of the information, right? This dives into, um, I don't know what it is, but it dives into um, it dives into a lot of detail about food and nutrition. And this performs really, really well for them. So for their target audience, they want this kind of content. Um, other examples, right? This is this to me is sort of a classic example. Howard Stern, the radio host, right? He has a long form interview show on Sirius XM. Has he has over a million YouTube YouTube subscribers? And what he does on YouTube is he posts two to five minute clips of just the juiciest parts of his interviews. It's standalone. You don't really need to watch the rest of the interview, but you probably want to after you see a clip that's just so good that you want more. Um, other examples, right? This, is, this one's kind of out of the box here. So Redfin, there, the Redfin CEO, Glenn Kelman, is now starring in a Netflix show about home buying and selling. So what's interesting here is this is going to be zero-click content, right? You don't need to be a Redfin user or customer in order to benefit from watching this show. It's just, it's just a show about buying and selling homes. So definitely zero-click content here. Okay, so we've gone, gone through all these examples. Might seem like, okay, cool, but how do you do any of this? Uh, we have a couple of repeatable frameworks ahead. Um, you know, ones that don't have to involve producing your own Netflix show. <laughs> Oops. Uh, okay. So your overall strategy in social media, you could think of it like this. Optimize for engagement streaks to get social visibility, followers, and traffic. You give the networks what they want, which is content that keeps users on the platform, so no links. <clears throat> Posts that earn either replies or repeat visits and clicks, more so than likes or shares. And visual and video formats, so give them shocking headlines and or surprising and unexpected content. Now give followers what they want. Consistency of focus. You know, sadly, people tend not to like deviation from the initial reason they follow you. So if you are posting saying that you write about tech and entrepreneurship, but you actually mostly tweet about what you're having for dinner that night, people aren't going to like that, right? They followed you for tech and entrepreneurship. Um, followers also like high controversy and belief reinforcing content and content that's easy to consume and process, right? Shorter, more visual, more emotional content tends to work really well. And most importantly, give your followers what they want, right? At least your target audience what they want. And you can do this through some kind of combination of social listening and keeping a pulse in your industry. So here are some tools to do just that. I think about this on the sort of macro to micro spectrum of research. On the macro side, you have your industry or category trends. On the narrowest or micro side, you have what your audience consumes. 
So to understand the macro, right, the industry or category trends, you can use tools like Google Trends, Exploding Topics, BuzzSumo, right? <clears throat> On the micro side, you consume what your audience consumes. So maybe in this, in this tech-focused audience, people are reading TechCrunch or they're listening to Gartner Talent Angle, right? Gartner's podcast. But how do you go from macro to micro? How do you go from understanding industry trends to suddenly knowing what your audience consumes? You bridge the gap with tools like SparkToro. doesn't have to be SparkToro. Ideally, it should, should be. Um, you can also use tools like Feedly, which gives you, um, gives you a feed of information based on your niche. You could try a newstip.com. It's a great PR resource for understanding what journalists in your niche are writing about, or even just who are the journalists in your niche. Or frontpagemetrics.com, which will help you discover some of the fastest growing subreddits. So all of these things will help you better understand how to give your followers what they want. And so once you know all this, you can engage people, draw traffic, and repeat. Right, so you create high engagement. A non, you 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 write a high engagement non promotional post, another one of those high engagement non promotional posts. Then you can kind of sneak in your promotion with a call to action, and then go back to your high engagement posts. So the thing is, these high engagement non non promotional posts. This is what actually helps you earn brand exposure and new followers. And it's the promotion with CTA that capitalizes on your algorithmic reputation and ultimately sends clicks back to your site. So I've gone through this, the overall sort of strategy, right? We know how to, uh, we know theoretically how to create high engagement content, the importance of it, but what are some tactical, like super tactical ways that we can go about this? So here's, I have three. Here's the first one. You can give away the punchline. So this works really well for repurposing completed content. Um, when I when I did this, so I, so this comes from a blog post that I did about audience personas. So it's about the idea of thinking beyond buyer personas, thinking more holistically about your audience, and think about them as having as representing a suite of audience personas. So I wrote this long, like two thousand word blog post, and it kind of culminated in this joke of this fake buyer persona template, which is not that helpful, right? And so what I did was I just posted the punchline, this stupid joke, um, as my tweet. It was, I made this buyer persona template, feel free to steal it. It got over 500 likes. And when I repurposed this as an email to promote the webinar version of my blog post, this ended up being our most clicked on email promotion this year. And our webinar got over 900 registrants. So this worked really well. Don't be afraid to steal, uh, to um, give away the punchline. <clears throat> Tactic number two, summarize the heart of your idea. So this works really well if you are sharing an outline, the items in a list, or a standalone thought. Um, remember, when you're summarizing this idea, clicking should be optional. It shouldn't be required to understand this. So you look at this piece here. This comes from Force of Nature and it comes from their newsletter. They have five grilling tips, right? One, two, three, four, five, five standalone tips. That's kind of it, right? Like there isn't, there, this actually doesn't even link to a blog post. This is just a standalone insight that they did to make their newsletter standalone valuable 
for anybody who's just skimming through it. And when you do this well, you should be able to do this multiple times with one piece of content. Another example of this, um, Wes Kayo, co-founder of Maven, she has this blog post called the, you know, it's about the brand versus performance marketing spectrum. So she's also distilled this into one slide or one graphic. And this is just one standalone tweet, right? Should you prioritize brand or performance? This decision will not impact how you define success for any metric. But anyway, it's the law of brand versus performance marketing. And on one side of the spectrum, you have performance marketing. It's focused on short-term conversion. On the other side, you have brand marketing focused on long-term brand equity, right? This, this makes sense in of itself. You don't really need to read the blog post to understand this slide, but of course, it's better if you do read it. Uh, there's a blog post. Uh, last example that I have here is posting a defensible hot take. So this works really well if you have long-form content with full context. And remember, if you're going to do this, don't be salacious just for the sake of being salacious. And um, after you get some engagement, right, after it takes off, uh, picks up some steam, you can add the link to promote whatever it is that, or add the link to that fuller context where in which you defend your claim. So in this example, Steph Smith, who's a creator, indie hacker, and you know now she's a podcast host at A16Z, she posted this extremely popular tweet about the 40-hour work week. But the 40-hour work week was established over a century ago. Since then, We've invented 5G networks, automation, 3D printing, AR, VR, and a computer that can fit in your pocket. Nearly all of the tools have changed, yet somehow people still think the way we need to work needs to say needs to stay the same. Right? Great hot take. Took off, it took off really well. And then she added on a link to her pod, her personal podcast, which is which basically was like, hey, I have more to say on this topic. Come check it out. Right. So this makes it defensible because if anybody's upset by this tweet, right, they should listen to her her podcast where she has, where she dives into the research or dives into some background on it, fully defends her claim. And most likely, may, may, you may or may not, you may, not, you may or may not agree with her to full take, but most likely you're not going to be upset about it, right? You're going to be like, okay, well, she has a lot to say about this. All right, I respect it. <clears throat> but wait, right? I know some of you want to ask, what about executive buy-in, right? What about this? Uh, I feel like I got to fly through, but we have a few minutes left. Executive buy-in. Everybody always wonders this. So one way I like to um, uh, approach this is to talk about sustainable operations, right? Um, when you are creating zero-click content, right, the standalone valuable content, you're ultimately making your content your operations, your budget, a lot more sustainable because that one blog post or that one piece of content becomes one to two LinkedIn posts. It becomes maybe one Twitter thread and three tweets. It becomes one video, a webinar, or maybe it even also becomes a, uh, a conference presentation, right? It, one piece of content can become all of these things. I'm not even saying it can become one of these things, although that's true too. <clears throat> because also if you are focused on creating content that is just really, really good, you're going to pretty organically get a lot more out of it, right? So one blog post equals all of these things and it's possible. And 
it leads to this sort of counterintuitive outcome here, right? So this goofy joke, this little slide here, took me a couple hours to make, not gonna lie, took me a while, um, all led to this 2000 word blog post where I defended my claim, also became a webinar at SparkToro. But then it also led to the opportunity to present this to over 700 people at MozCon. So trust the process, trust yourself, um, um, trust that whatever content you have, anything worth saying is worthy of becoming multiple other formats. Um, that's what I have for today. If you want to learn more about audience research and more about what I do at SparkToro, um, you can check us out, uh, check out our newsletter, right? We have a nice audience research newsletter. It actually goes out tomorrow if you want to check it out then. Um, and most every other Thursday. We also have free tools at sparktoro.com slash tools. We have a fake follower audit, uh, a trending topic, uh, trending topics for Twitter and Spark Score, which gauges overall engagement of any Twitter account. And then we also have our paid tool at sparktoro.com where you can do more audience research and get great data. Um, this is a sample of it here. Um, overview of people whose profiles include marketing director. You'll see their the top words they use uh, in their bios, demographics, podcasts they listen to, YouTube channels they subscribe to, social accounts they follow. And then if you want to learn more from me, I'm on Twitter, most active there. Um, I also have a twice monthly-ish newsletter at amandanet.com. And then I also teach a content marketing course at, with Maven, Content Marketing 201. Um, thank you. And any questions? Yes, indeed. Thank you for that, Amanda. The uh, questions you. questions are coming in. I wanted to kick you off with one of my own. I was trying mm -hmm. to think through, you know, I, I put out with Startups for the Rest of Us, my podcast, I put out an episode every week. We put out an, uh, kind of a, I won't say it's hot take, but some, you know, like our uh, YouTube video we did last week was like B2B versus B2C, which is more profitable. So I, I took a side, you know, yeah. so that you could yeah. say it's a hot take, right? And we tweet them and we put a clip and we... Um, you know, do the stuff you you would think, but I haven't done the more hot take uh, aspect you're saying, right? Where you you brought up the example of the 40 hour week, 40 hour work week, and then the podcast backing it up. Um, is that is that is that like just coming into popularity or is that something that a lot of people are already doing? And have you seen it work more than, you know, the one instance that we saw here? I feel like I've been seeing it more over the past maybe one to two years. Mm. Um, and I think the best, the, the people who are most successful at it are the ones who are able to tie it back to a longer form piece, right? Like, I think people who are just posting hot takes, um, just the hot take part with no, no defensibility to it, that might perform well in the short term. Like, it might get some reactions, you know, retweets, all that stuff. But I think pretty quickly, you'll, you'll see that that person maybe <laughs> that account kind of starts to unravel mm -hmm. if they're not backing it up over time. So I think right. the most successful people are doing it when they have more to say on the topic and they present it. And even if people don't listen to it or don't read it or don't watch the thing, mm -hmm. they'll at least feel like, well, I don't agree with that, but I'm not going to watch that either. There's Whatever. I'll just move audio. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Versus, it. yeah. Versus, you know, quote tweeting it and saying like, what a clown. I hate this take. What a terrible right. thing to say. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Um, we have questions coming in from folks in the audience. Ivan asks, 
what tool do you use to rewrite and repurpose your blog posts? Yeah. So usually, I mean, I use Google Docs. Um, that's my main tool of choice. Um, if I distill something into a thread, I use an app called Typefully, typefully.com, um, which helps you um, write your thread sort of in a blog post format. It's just easier to, to work with. Um, yeah, those are the, my, my main tools. <laughs> Great. I was just eyeballing Typefully. I don't do a lot of threads, but I'm considering mm -hmm. doing it. And so yeah. I had heard that Typefully was, yeah. was a good way to do it. I, I will say there's a newer tool that I've been playing with called Lex. Have you heard okay. of this? It's the mm -hmm. new GPT-3 uh, writing app. Um, so one of the interesting things is the way it uses GPT-3 to generate, help you generate ideas. Mm -hmm. You can do headline mm -hmm. ideas. But I actually use it now for the minimalist writing editor. So for mm -hmm. me, it's a little bit more of a Google Docs replacement mm -hmm. with the optional like, oh, there's some AI stuff here. But mm -hmm. that's a nice oh, tool to check out. I'll have to check that out. And it works with yeah. Twitter threads. Uh, no, this is just for like, just, like, just, just straight writing. Yeah. Got yeah. it. So Lex.app. Cool. Nice. Um, all right. Next question is from Matt. So you can repurpose existing blog posts into new content, but if you're starting from scratch, do you still make the blog post or do you just focus on the new zero click content? Great question. I think you could, you can do either, or you can start with the blog or you can start with zero click content. I don't really think there's a wrong answer. Uh, my take is whatever you do, start the blog. Like get your home base set up so that you can you can point people to it if you need to. Um, I kind of did them both at the same time-ish. So like I set up my personal site, I have a blog, super bare bones blog there. But it's more like if anyone Googles me, or goes to my website, there's stuff there. That's like, here's who I am, quick bio, whatever. Um, and then I mostly I mostly started writing on Twitter. I guess the other, maybe maybe a good kind of extreme example of this would be Sahil Bloom. I think for, for two years, I believe, Sahil only wrote on Twitter, didn't have a personal site, only wrote threads, grew, uh, grew a following. I probably have like zero to maybe 200,000 in one year. Um, so very much doubled down on this sort of zero click content, grew the following there. And then I think a couple of years later, finally had his personal site set up, started a Substack, started a podcast. Um, so you could do it that way too. Very nice. Ben asks, do you have a framework for what good content means? Hmm. This is good. Um, one of my favorite resources for this is one of Rand's blog posts, or one of Rand Fishkin's blog posts, and it's called "Who Will Amplify This and Why." So it's a it's a very it's a very long post, completely worth reading. I reread it myself once once or twice a year. But one one in one section, Rand gets into what makes something ampl amplification worthy. Why do people engage with certain types of content? Why do they amplify it? And so he has, I think nine eight or nine categories of this which would include like you know fear shock and awe belief reinforcing i think any of those things um, are indicative of good content now you can have belief reinforcing content that's poorly written sure that's possible but i think a lot of it starts with having a strong idea 
that people want to engage with that's amplification worthy. And then from there, hopefully, ideally, it's well written. And I think there are a lot of number of guides that you can read or resources you can tap into. Um, Kayleen Moore, um, freelance writer, has a lot of great resources for writing well. Uh, Julian Shapiro has a long form guide um, on writing well. So all of these are great resources. Excellent. And Grant in the chat just posted a link to that uh, Rand Fishkin blog post you just oh, mentioned. So um, Will asks, how do you measure the social, how do you measure social media ROI? Um, so I guess this will depend on your business. Um, you can look at the typical metrics like impressions, engagements, um, follower count. I think some people will say those are vanity metrics. I would disagree in that if you're posting on social media, you have what else will you look at if not those things? So they're not really vanity metrics. Um, that's one. But I would also look at referral traffic and see how referral traffic over time increases, um, which the count again, the counterintuitive thing about zero click content is that the more you're giving value up front without the click here, click here, click here, um, but occasionally doing that the more you're going to see better results because people over time are going to be like, oh, wow, Rob writes great content. Like, I'm just going to follow him, follow along, and then kind of cherry pick. Like, okay, Rob has a podcast and occasionally he posts links. Um, I can't listen to every single one, but it's interesting to me. And then they're going to follow along like, oh, that's a really interesting insight. I'm going to check out this podcast for later, right? So over time, you're going to see people develop interest. They might not click on 100% of your links. Who does that, right? But they'll click on them, on more of them, compared to when if you just were to say like, hey, well, I learned this cool thing, check out my podcast. <laughs> um, so that, so looking at referral traffic over time. And then if you can set up some goals in Google Analytics, you can also see if people are converting on your page. Um, that's one way to look at it too. And then I guess the last thing I'll say is, I have had an easier time tying ROI to LinkedIn specifically compared to Twitter. Um, for me, I've, for me personally, as a personal brand or a personal creator, um, I have been able to see, to see success from Twitter. Um, like I get leads for my course that I teach, but on LinkedIn, it's easier for me to tie ROI to myself and to my brand SparkToro. Um, so that's where it's easier to drive webinar signups, which that's a great way to get a return on your investment. Um, and if and last thing is if you're a service-based business and you're posting standalone insights on LinkedIn, all you really need, right, are a handful of decent quality leads per month. And if you get, if you're like an agency, right, service-based business, if you get like two new clients in a month from just from LinkedIn, that's incredible ROI. Yep. Our last question for you, Amanda, is from Kevin. He asks for a B2B business with a highly technical and relatively low number of customers. What are some key factors to focus on in regard to zero click content? Oh, that's a good question. Um, highly technical, relatively low number of customers. I would just, I would, I wouldn't be afraid then to get super niche with what you're posting and just get really into the details. Like if there's, a topic within a topic within a topic, Z like zero in on the narrowest aspect and get super technical. 
I think that's a great way to build affinity with this core group of customers. Um, they'll quickly see like, oh, wow, they really know what they're talking about. They're not just posting stuff that's like, come to my webinar. Um, kind of fluffy. Yeah. Right. But like, if you get really technical and then and then kind of end it with, hey, we're going to talk more about this super technical stuff. Hopefully you'll be smarter than I am and not say those exact words. Um, <laughs> come to our webinar. We're going to go in full detail on this topic. And so showing how technical you are, how into the weeds you are on your top of funnel channels will, I think, have a great chance at engaging your most loyal customers or the most technical people in your audience. I think that's a good way to think about it too, because if you think about it, like my my business, MicroConf and Tiny Seed, uh, really is essentially B to founder, B to B, and it's highly technical and there's a relatively low number of customers. You know, there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There are not 10 million folks trying to do this. And that is something that that we do a lot. I view it as having some top of funnel content that's really, insp there's inspiration and it's, you know, be an entrepreneur or that type of stuff. But when I dig in and I'm like, you know, your LTV to CAC ratio and you should be thinking about churn and net negative churn is this and that. I mean, that's pretty dang technical, right? And it can yeah. be boring for people. But those yeah. are the ones that, as you said, maybe the the deepest fans, you know, or the people who really want to learn and who are really shipping, um, mm -hmm. I, think I think gravitate towards, because it is different than a lot of the zero click content that you see on yeah. social media. I, I love your example because you're also, you're also giving a really good, really good two examples of one content that can be more appealing to a broad audience, like the entrepreneurship, um, that side of things, which can be pretty broadly applicable. So you can try doubling down on that kind of content, but sprinkling in the technical like LTV CAC stuff that shows, hey, I'm not just going to be some rah-rah investor guy. I have a lot more to say on the ins and outs of running a business. Right. And with that, I'd love to thank you for showing up. Thanks for taking the time to speak to our audience. It was a great yeah. talk. Thank you so All much right. for having me, Rob. Thanks, everyone. Bye.